Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sam. And on this episode, I get to be publicly wrong once again. Um, <laughs> at the end of the last episode, uh, I previewed Predator as my next pick. And I was proud of myself. I, you know, my Google Foo is strong, except it's not. Um, it was not readily available on the internet. And so uh, we swerved. Um, I tapped this a little bit and we came up with X-Men. Um, and I, I, so when we had to recalibrate. Yeah, so we're going to be watching X-Men tonight. And it is readily available. It's on Disney Plus because the mouse is going to own everything soon. Um, and this, but this is kind of one of those sort of seminal movies, isn't it? I mean, if we don't have X-Men, there's probably no Avengers. I mean, yeah. a, a, what what we see is the tentpole movies of most studios now don't don't happen uh, without this movie succeeding. So I, I thought it was a, like I mean, if we were going to tap dance real fast, I thought this was a good one to go to. Yeah, Agreed. well, this was uh, Marvel's first foray into I think taking their superhero serious and really trying to make something happen with them. Uh, you know, Kevin Feige producing probably one of his earlier credits with Brian Singer directing uh, a wonderful cast. Patrick Stewart, you had. Halle Berry, um, you know, Ian McKellen. There's the pain I mean, section for that. Okay. So <laughs> let's let's uh, pause on the X Men for a moment and keep it one hundred. It's time to keep it one hundred. One hundred. One hundred. One hundred. My keeping one hundred this week is the world's end, and the pitch is simple. Edgar Wright. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost get the band back together and make another movie. <laughs> um, that's almost enough right there. Okay, so they get back together to do a pub crawl where a bunch of old dudes get talked in together by loser Simon Pegg to do the World's End pub crawl that they failed to do when they were actually young people. And so <laughs> hilarity ensues. Dr- drunken hilarity ensues. And then Simon Pegg gets into a fight with a teenager in a pub bathroom. And something incredibly bizarre happens. Then it gets joyously bizarre and over the top and bonkers. And it is not the best Edgar Wright movie, but it might be the craziest Edgar Wright movie. I think it tops even Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> and so the world's end is my key for Get 100. You know, I have not seen that movie. Okay. I loved Shaun of the Dead. I like Nick Frost's. Simon Pegg, but I just had I missed that one, so I've got to I've got to go around and see that for sure. See, it's got two big twists in it, so I can't do the full pitch without ruining the twist. And so I was uh, trying to just okay. I was trying to emphasize it gets weird, it gets real, weird. <laughs> it gets real weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you pitched this movie to me a couple times, Jamie, and I've done a little bit of looking into, and I I, I have discovered <laughs> what the pitch is, and it's yeah. quite strange. <laughs> I am up next on the, the Keeping It 100. So um, I enjoyed this movie so much. I watched probably one of the strongest additions to the early Marvel Cinematic Universe. X-Men 2. X2. Probably, like I said, one of the greatest additions. It continues the story that was laid in X-Men 1 so well. Shows you where these characters are going, what's going to happen the struggles they have introduces introduces Nightcrawler, one of my favorites. 
and then we get X-Men 3. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> that's not keeping it 100. Sam, that's all I needed. Sam, you're up next. <laughs> X, X2 is great, though. It's, I, I think either that one or First Class is the best of the Fox X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I, that's a great not, recommendation. Yeah, believe it or not, I recently watched The Days of Future Past for the first time. Mm. I like that one a lot, too. I'm sorry, Sam. I stepped on your toes. Oh, uh, no, no, not a bit. Not a bit. I, I was just going through my head with those movies. D- Dark Phoenix was a interesting way to end that Fox series. No, it's not <laughs> the end. Hypothetically, we're still getting new mutants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this week. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I'll believe it when it's played in front of my eyes. And probably only about 30 minutes in. I won't believe it at first. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. So, um, you know, it's said that you never forget your first doctor. I know I haven't. But I think it's equally true about your first companion. So after much delay, the U.S. has finally gotten what is labeled Doctor Who Tom Baker Season 3 which is really season 14. Um, But it's not the whole set that I love. There is a documentary titled Our Sarah Jane. And Sarah Jane Smith, played by Elizabeth Sladen, was my first companion. And to this day, she is still the gold standard for me. Uh, The documentary really focuses on her life and career from her early days in the Liverpool theater uh, to the revival of the Sarah Jane character in the Sarah Jane Adventures. Um, And even though, you know, Liz passed away in 2011, uh, just to hear people talk about her and still to this day, Tom Baker, just it's so heartwarming. And just he cared so much about her. Uh, And it was just it's kind of amazing to still hear him talk. And so the documentary is just it's a fantastic tribute to a great actor, a good person. And honestly, it's the reason she'll always be our Sarah Jane. And that's my keeping it 100. <laughs> Being an old who agnostic, uh, they, when she shows back up with David Tennant, it was really weird. Oh, I didn't gosh. know what was happening. I, it, it's hard for me to keep it together in that episode. I'll be quite honest with you. I had no clue what was going on or why it mattered. <laughs> oh, gosh. See, for, for my generation... You know, especially because that's where PBS started showing Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. You saw a lot of Tom Baker and Liz Sladen, you know, so it was a lot of Doctor and Sarah Jane. So, yep. Yeah, based on <laughs> David Tennant's acting and the score, I was like, I'm supposed to be feeling something now. I don't feel a thing. <laughs> oh. No, you don't have any context. <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's get let's get back on track and talk about X-Men from 2000 with our opening thoughts and grades. And Dwayne, you have the privilege of going first. And based on our pre-show discussion, um, maybe, maybe bumming us out. Let's see how this goes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is, uh, this is probably one of my more favorite movies and it's not necessarily because it's a great movie, but I love the groundwork that it lays. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I love the view that it takes of the mutants of the universe. Of course, we didn't get the yellow 
spandex cyclops. <laughs> but we did get our heroes being heroic and coming together. Uh, you know, this is very much a building movie, and and build it does. Um, from you know, we you know are introduced to Rogue very early on in Wolverine, and then um, you know the incidents with uh, Magneto there at the beginning. But I'm going to give this. It's like I said, it's not a perfect movie. I truly love it though. I'm going to give it an A minus. I was getting, I, okay. you were kind of giving some stink eye when we were talking earlier. I was afraid you were going to bum us out. It, it, it has its moments. It has its moments. It has okay. its characters. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it, the, the groundwork it lays and, and what it is, you know, granted we didn't get the, the super suits. We got, you know, the leather biker suits. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, I love, I love the view it took. Oh. Sammy, what you got? You know, I, I guess for me with this movie, it's such a reality check that this movie is 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Because, because it feels like yesterday I was going into the theater, sitting down, and I was amazed at what Brian Singer and 20th Century Fox did to bring the X-Men to life. Was it exactly like the comics? No. But at this time, it was just great to see a team of heroes on the screen that that worked. Um, you know, the parts that I was iffy about then, I'm still iffy about now. You know that, but there's there are aspects of this movie that are spot on. You know, mm-hmm. this is the movie that that convinced me Wolverine didn't have to be five three, <laughs> and that no matter what, even on the big screen, Cyclops is a jerk. So it just worked perfect for me in terms of that. So um, I'll save the rest of my thoughts for Pans, Fans, and Awards, but my grade is going to be a straight-up A. <laughs> All right. Um, I think we're giving some nostalgia grades this week, uh, too. A little yeah. bit. <laughs> a bit. Yeah. A bit. Well, I'm, well, I'm doing the same thing. I'm going A-. minus. Um, and pa- part of it is that it, it is in itself it's a solid movie. Um, but on its own, it's probably a B. But if you think about what was going on at the time, and especially with superhero type movies, um, this was quite an achievement um, because mm-hmm. it wasn't just a single character. I mean, you, you could pull off Superman and maybe I mean, Batman's a little goofy. It's not as dark and gray as everybody remembers. <laughs> um, there's some real goofy stuff in Batman 89. Um, oh, yeah. But they but they made this movie. Um, it was it was a superhero movie that was respectable and profitable, and that I wasn't embarrassed to admit to people I'd seen and I liked. Um, so at that point in time, it was a real achievement because of what it did. I mean, I'm certain that Randy got the budget he did to make the Spider-Man movies. Um, they might have made that movie; it wouldn't have had the dollars behind it that he got. Mm-hmm. And no, there was, yeah, and then we wouldn't have got. Iron Man, the Avengers, none of that would have happened without this movie. So this this movie is an achievement in what it accomplished. So that kind of so I, I gave it a grade bump uh, due to that. But this is a solid B on its own merits. Uh, so a, I'm going full A minus on that one. So A's all around. That's a good. That's solid. Okay. It's yeah, great. Yeah, it's well, before we spoil anything else, let's go ahead and get out our fans.
so here we go. Uh, Sammy, you have the privilege of gushing first. All right. So, you know, when I brought from the get-go of this movie, I love how in just a few short vignettes, they set up everything this movie is about. Mm -hmm. From the young Eric Lyncher in the Polish concentration camp to the tender yet traumatic moment of Marie's first kiss. You know, we get an explanation of what it is to be a mutant. Why are there mutants? You know, and then we flip to Jean Grey. And and all of that just works together to really ground that movie, I think, in, in a way that affects everyone. We all remember what it was like maybe to be different or not feel like you fit in or that type of thing. And I think that's the draw of the X-Men in general, you know, it, whether it be the comic, the movie, whatever. So but they got that right. And I was so excited that they did that. You know, this wasn't the, like kind of Jamie alluded to, kind of the over-the-top superhero movie that was kind of silly in its own merits in some ways. You know, this was a real, a very real-world environment that these characters were placed in. And I think that made the story, you know, to me, really impactful. And I think that's, like I said, that's my biggest fan. It's just the tone of this thing. They want it to work. So... Yeah, I, I think I think you were a highlight in the beginning. By the time that Magneto and Chris Ricks are done having their discussion, the outside of that hearing room, we're set up. I mean, they do it mm-hmm. so much because there is so much to set up, but he does it so succinctly and quickly, rapid fire. Yeah, I mean, by the time they're done, we're ready for the story, and, mm-hmm. and with <laughs> there was so much heavy lifting to do in those scenes. It's a, it's quite a feat. Yeah, you know, uh, so, and, and a lot of exposition can sometimes drag, and but. That was was cut and edited in a perfect way that I think we got just the exposition we needed to then you could hit the accelerator and just have some fun with the movie. Yeah. Yeah, um, Well, I'm next and mine is kind of tagging along with yours. And it's just the fact that they weren't embarrassed with maybe one exception that I'll get to later. Uh, (laughs) But the the writers and directors clearly embraced the subject matter and just made a good movie. The actors weren't, I mean, Hugh Jackman had the full comic book accurate Wolverine hair and walked around on set proud. I mean, that's, that in itself is quite an achievement. The product, the amount of product that man's hair, it's, it's, a, it's a modern marvel. Um, but so they, they had these superpowers they, and they lived and in, in inhabited the world of these comic books and it didn't turn into Batman 66. Nobody's winking at the camera. Nobody's like, yeah, we can't believe we're doing this garbage either. Um, the plot wasn't super complicated, but it did feel like a real authentic superhero plot. Uh, and they played it straight. Um, it never really got goofy, except for maybe Toad a little bit. Um, so I just, I, I love the, so I guess in, in some, it's, I love the approach they took to making this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, they took it seriously. They weren't embarrassed by what they were doing. And we got a good movie out of it. And so that's, that's my thing. Entirely. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to shift my pen a little bit because I essentially, you guys essentially said what I was going to say. You know, they, they, <laughs> they took it serious. They laid the groundwork. They told the story and they didn't flinch. They didn't wink. They didn't joke. Well, they tried to joke, but they didn't land. Um, <laughs> but no. Um, an, another fan, guys, how do you get? Patrick Stewart, 
and Ian McKellen as your main hero and antagonist. The cast of this thing. Hugh Jackman. Yeah, he's six foot three. He's a <laughs> foot taller than Wolverine. But he owned that role. He and he made that character his own. You know, um, as much as she's had shade thrown at her, Halle Berry's storm in this movie, I think, is great. It grows. It's it's good. She owns it. You know, like Jean Grey. Uh, she better own it. Yeah. She did. <laughs> Jean Grey as Phoenix. I mean, she's killer. I mean, the cast is great. And the groundwork that this laid, you know, for, for future movies... The story it told, you know, these super, the X-Men to me has always been a take on prejudice. You have the view of uh, Xavier Academy. You know, they want to be included through inclusion, knowledge, and being beneficial to society. The Brotherhood of Mutants want to be included by taking over being militaristic. Um, You know, and I mean, they've done a great job uh, establishing those sides. So those Definitely. are my, those are my fans, but you know there is a kitchen in Xavier's school. We see you get Wolverine. that in the second one, remember? <laughs> we see we see a Wolverine go down and, and uh, snatch a is that a root beer? Yeah, in the, yeah. In the uh-huh. So let's go to that kitchen and get our pans. Well, I've got my cream soda. Where's Ice Man? Um, <laughs> I think it was also, cream soda. I don't think it was root beer. Also, if you think about it, in first class, that's where Mystique and Charles Meat were in the kitchen. So that's true. <laughs> Kitchens apparently are important to the Men. Um, important. Okay, so I'm going to go first on the pan, and um, I'm not going to go where y'all think I'm going to go. Um, not right off the bat. That's for later. Um, there's, there's more. There's more room. Um, the fight choreography in this movie is frankly terrible. I hate I hate every fight scene in this movie. You could tell that Brian Singer had never directed one action scene before in his life. <laughs> and either all of the budget went to the product in Hugh Jackman's hair, or he didn't listen to the fight choreographer on set. They're all just they're terrible to look at. I mean, they're shot weirdly or or Barely saw I just, I hate every fight scene. Uh, the wire work is the worst part. The wire work looks like a high school musical. Uh, I mean, it's it's bad. And I don't think it was budgetary. I think it was just pure incompetence. So, so my pan is the fight choreography. All of the fight scenes were very claustrophobic or something. You felt you were right there on them, and they could didn't have a whole range of motion or something. Uh, I, I believe it was the rhythm. They didn't have. I mean, you had Ray Park, you had Darth Maul. He did nothing though. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. He did nothing. I mean, how great of a physical actor could you have? But the the rhythm of the fights they move so unnaturally to me. I think that's mystique, think that's especially. Yes. Yeah. That, and that fight scene where she fights uh, Wolverine and the kind of in the dark when she kind of skitters upside down up the wall. I mean, it just looks weird, terrible. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and and I think in the, in the train fight scene when when Toad goes up the wall. I mean, you've got Ray Park. 
Just let the man run up the let wall. The he could probably yeah. do it. All by himself, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't need a wire. He's very park. <laughs> it looks so bad. I mean, he'll use the force if nothing else. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> he, he climbed that wall like 70s Spider-Man. So. <laughs> it was so and bad. It, and it looked like 70s Spider-Man, too. It did. <laughs> so bad. Well, speaking about looking like 70s Spider-Man, uh, that's probably my pan, is some of these effects. I mean, I understand it's 2000. I understand they probably had a very limited budget after all of the product for Wolverine's hair and uh, <laughs> you know, paying Ian McKellen and uh, Patrick Stewart. But, you know, some of these digital effects just did not hang. Now, if you've got Disney+, Plus, I believe they've cleaned them up a little bit because I watched my DVD copy, and then I watched it on Disney+. Plus. And, uh, and I believe they've cleaned some of these effects up some. But that, I'll tell you, just some of these effects just do not stick. The tongue, the, the shimmering light from the spinny uh, device that Magneto is trying to use. Uh, the spinny device that Magneto is trying to use, I mean, just the whole <laughs> <laughs> was 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 odd. Yeah, that's that's probably my, my biggest pan. You know, Jamie, you mentioned Batman 66. That spinny device was very Batman 66. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah, Let's just make this go fast enough and it will turn people to mutants. <laughs> just look at the x speed. Keep looking at the x speed. Don't, look don't look at the spinny thing. <laughs> look at me. <laughs> okay, there, over here. All right. Yeah. Uh, All same right. if you have a pain. Okay, you know, I think my pan, and, and I, I, I don't know, I'm one of these people, I'm always looking at what I call movie physics, okay? And there are a number of scenes in this movie that are not scientifically possible based on known Newtonian physics. They did, not talk, to, they did not talk to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Truly not. Okay, <laughs> but there's one scene that, that bothers me every time. It's the scene where Rogue and Wolverine crash because Sabretooth has put the tree across the road. They are not traveling fast enough <laughs> for Wolverine to shoot through the windshield and travel at least 600 feet out of that camper. All right? That is is Newton's laws not working, okay? <laughs> but Sammy, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. She just got on to it. <laughs> they were traveling fast enough. <laughs> For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. <laughs> also, doesn't he weigh like 500 pounds because of his metal skeleton? I mean, yes. the, the metal so, they put on him? So, he weighs so like you've a, got yeah. mass in there. Yeah. Force is equal to mass times acceleration, right? So, it, I mean, well, it's again, Newtonian physics. So it just looks so janky. I mean, it, it literally looks like they're just dragging him across the snow when he hits the ground. So I'm just glad the Marvel movies have gotten a little bit more scientifically accurate uh, since 2000. Okay. My favorite part of that is that he doesn't look like he kind of comes out of the driver's seat. It looks like he got launched from a cannon in the back of the, of the camper. <laughs> it looks so weird. Let's load him up. Go. <laughs> now, now the other ones when Sabretooth throws Wolverine and he grabs Lady Liberty's crown with oh, his that's claw so bad. and travels all <laughs> around. <laughs> so bad. Yeah. 
It's gravity. He was he was orbiting. <laughs> he was going so fast he started to orbit the thing. Well, we already know he travels fast enough to shoot out of a car window. So why not? <laughs> it's called it's called comic physics. Comic physics. Sammy. That's right. Comic that's physics. right. I think once you put Magneto in your movie and magnetism just does everything, I think you just stop worrying about stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) But what's funny is then they've got the scientific line about, oh, I thought you were raised in a school. You know, (laughs) so so it's like they recognize, you know, thermodynamics, but not physics. (laughs) They don't teach that class at that school. (laughs) It's not. That's a well. They, apparently, they have a Scott teaching uh, motorcycle mechanics instead of physics. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was strange too. That okay, guys, let's let's teach everybody how to work on my super cycle. <laughs> Important life skills. Here we go. That's right. Oh, can I mention uh, something else? Just just as a discussion point. Sure. I know Iron Man took the actual view of. The Iron Man suit, the red and gold. Why didn't this movie take the actual view of the costumes? They were afraid. Mm-hmm. I think I think with the wire work that you see and the black leather suits, I, I call it the Matrix Syndrome. Because, you know, if you think the Matrix happened just before this, you know, 1999. So they had to have the cool black leather and the awesome wire physics. Well, I, th- I think this is just my two cents. I don't know like the whole skinny on the whole situation, but it really feels like they were trying to be taken seriously and make a serious movie. And they were afraid if they were wearing spandex everywhere, that that would ruin what they mm-hmm. were going for. Yeah. They, they didn't think that the you know movie going public was ready for that. That's, that's just my two cents. I don't really know what you yeah, think. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, that's, you're probably right, but, I was, but how much cooler would it have been though? I think if they would have gotten, you know, if they would have textured the costume, like a, you know, like the Superman or the Spider-Man costume, you know, how they made it look kind of, you know, alive and functional instead of just, mm-hmm. well, let's just paint on your skin, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, but it is, I mean, it, I mean, now that we've seen that, that clearly the viewing public doesn't mind. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it would, it would be kind of like interesting to go back and see if they could have pulled it off and still be taken seriously. I mean, it is, it's right. an interesting sort of, you know, historical. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a new yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a neat thought game. So, okay. Can we give us some awards, guys? Let's do it. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. Alright. Best Performance goes to Dwayne. Uh, Dwayne, you've got several options here. I think we could all say a different name and I'll be right. I, I don't think that you're wrong. I think that we have quite a few uh, performances that, that stand out on this. But my favorite uh, has to go to Eric Lyncher, uh, Magneto, as portrayed by Ian McKellen. Uh, this man is a powerhouse of an actor. And you know when you see him play Gandalf, and then you see him play Magneto. I mean, it's completely different. I mean, I, I know he's an actor, but, you know, to take these roles seriously and really inhabit and enrich them the way that he does, um, you know, I really feel for him. You know, you see the markings on his arm from the concentration camp. 
um, you know, you see his struggle to uh, resist his old friend Charles. You see him leading this sometimes bumbling band of bad guys. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll, you know, and he just chews up every scene that he's in. He just chews it up. Well, I, I'm going to give a different answer, but I, I'm going to say that that I'm, I agree in the sense that Ian McKellen is his performance movie is so good that he brings like an added depth to what's even on the page of the script, yeah. uh, j- just with his performance by itself. But I'm going to say Patrick Stewart. Um, uh, I mean, how often did we watch The Next Generation and say, "Man, if we ever get an X Men movie, that dude has to be Professor X." <laughs> And all the nerds were right. I mean, he absolutely yes. nails it. And I actually, I think Professor X in the comic books is a little bit shady. I mean, he does some mm-hmm. not cool stuff. Uh-huh. But we don't get any of that with Patrick Stewart. This is just a classy dude <laughs> who's pri- straight up. Yeah, is principled and he's sympathetic. I mean, I mean, I just I love the way he portrays Professor X. I wish we could retroactively go back. And have him be the Professor X we've had the comic books since 1964 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so Patrick Stewart, he just nailed nailed Professor X. Oh, fantastic. I, I do agree with you, Jamie, but I'm going to go with an answer that your brothers will appreciate. Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. <laughs> 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 you know... I have always loved this character, and that was before he became Marvel's poster boy, okay? So I've loved Wolverine (laughs) since the early 80s, right? So, but I think what made Hugh Jackman's performance great is, yeah, he's a foot taller than than Wolverine (laughs) actually is. But he brought all of that mashup of characterization that the comic brings to Logan. You know, I love the Logan version of Wolverine anyway. I would much rather him be in jeans and cowboy boots and stuff like that than the spandex. And so to see that version of Wolverine, the Logan version, with the berserker rage, but the compassion, the snarkiness and the gruff, all of that characterized just the way that I imagine Wolverine in my head. Um, that's, I just think Jackman did such a good job with that. So. I, I, I forget which one of my brothers made this joke, but I think in this movie, this is the last time he gets to be Hugh Jackman because after this, he becomes huge jacked man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the last true. time he looks like a normal human. <laughs> and I do think, always think about X-Men Origins Wolverine and how much bigger he is in the prequel movie. <laughs> Not a lot of protein in the cold north, maybe. I don't know. That's a, and that's the funny thing, you know, just in general, thinking about the year 2000 and what how they envisioned a superhero's body, you know, versus now. Yeah, well, our next award is Best Scene, and uh, Sammy, you get to go first. All right. Um I'm going to stick with Wolverine for on this one also. I love the initial reveal of his claws in Laughlin City. One, because it was just so cool to see that visualized. But the idea of him being able to control it and that middle claw coming slowly out to that roughneck's throat. 
I loved it. And even the way they came out changed the way that I envision Wolverine's claws. Cause yeah. that, that's always something that, that I've talked about with, with fans, you know, when, when they would draw his claws like three feet long, I'm like, those can't fit in his forearm. Where are those going? He couldn't even move his elbow. Those are so long. You know? <laughs> but, but that worked. And it was just so cool to see that for the first time. Yeah, that was a great one. I'm going to go with the Wolverine on uh, my scene uh, as well. And I'm going to tackle a scene that Jamie kind of threw a little bit of shade at uh, there when uh, you know they had the truck crash and he flew out. But I loved that first interaction between him and Sabretooth. I love that first fight. You know, when he starts sniffing the air and he see he sees the tree was ripped up, not broken down. Mm-hmm. You know, and he and he's something's wrong and his his senses, you know, his training, we see some of that start to resurface. And he, his animalistic sniffing and then, you know, the you know, he, he kind of gets his butt handed to him there for a minute. By Sabretooth, he just wasn't expecting anybody who can he really snuck up out. on him. Yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> Well, he, he hadn't healed the concussion yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that, that, I think that would be an even better scene if they had already cast Liev Schreiber as Sabretooth. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a Liev Schreiber Sabretooth fan. I, 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 I like Tyler Maine's Sabretooth. I like Tyler Maine's Sabretooth. I like Tyler Maine's Sabretooth <laughs> better than Liev Schreiber. And I think not I just, the characterization, the look. Yeah. The look is phenomenal, and I mean, he, he's not a great actor in this, and I don't know if he was just trying to play stupid, but whatnot, but I, I love the look and the physicality that he brings to it. I mean, I leave Schreiber, you know, he's just a great actor, he can inhabit that role, but I wasn't a fan of what they did with it in, in Origins, where they made them brothers. Don't, don't read the comic books, then. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Okay, anyway, um, I'm going to go with mine to the, what would now, in modern comic book movies, would be a post-credit stinger. The, uh, the chess scene in the, in the plastic prison. That was just mm-hmm. such a perfect little scene. The dynamic between Magneto and Professor X, the, the, the clear affection they have for each other, but also the tension. Um, mm-hmm. both, are, both are men of principle, they're not backing down. Um, how smart they were to actually make a plastic prison, to think that through, um, to make that setting. Um, it's just such a great emotional scene. It's such a, you know, just smartly done and perfectly acted. So I'm going to go with the plastic prison scene. Yeah, that's a perfect scene. That was cool. Yeah, that, but, you, but you know if they made that now, that would be like after a bunch of names rolled across the screen. There is yeah. no way that would have been <laughs> at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah that would yeah, have been the first post-court. <laughs> Post-credit. Yeah, that, that would have been the mid-credit, and then the, the post-credit would have been everybody back at the mansion sitting in the kitchen, you know. Jamie, Drinking root beer. You get to go first with uh, who you think is the best character. Uh, my brother's going to be mad at me. I'm not saying Wolverine. Uh, I'm going with Magneto. Um, <laughs> He's just such a fascinating character. Um, you know, I, I don't even think he's the villain of, of this movie. I think he's just the antagonist. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, he's got a perspective that everybody who watched this movie can understand and relate to. Um, we, from the opening scene in the concentration camp, we see what he's been through, that he's experienced. 
um, not just being an outcast, but real persecution, you know, genocide. I mean, he's, he's seen that. Um, and, and so he's afraid of that for his, his new people, uh, the mutants he's a part of now. And you, and you, you feel that coming off of Ian McKellen's performance and you, and you can understand like why he's going to go to the lengths he's going to, what, what he thinks he's going to spare, uh, the mutants. And so I, he's such a fascinating character and he's so relatable and you can just really empathize with what he's going through and where he's coming from. Even if we don't agree with the links he goes to or, you know, condone all of his tactics, like you understand why he's doing, he's not just twirling his mustache and I want world power or whatever. You understand what he's doing and it may, and you understand his worldview. And so I just, it makes him such an interesting antagonist for a movie. Mm-hmm. I agree completely yeah. as yeah. far as, as that. That's um, why he's better than Dr. Doom. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Doom, Doom is the greatest Marvel villain ever, but <laughs> <laughs> okay, you've already said that, but you're wrong. So, what's your wrong answer for best character? Go ahead, continue. All right. Well, well, I, I'm kind of channeling Jamie your best performance, and I go with Sir Patrick Stewart as my best character because you are exactly right. From TNG, everybody was like, "That's Professor X," you know. <laughs> And to finally get that realization, all right, of of Sir Patrick Stewart as Professor Charles Xavier, that was just amazing. And still to this day, when I'm reading, you know, an old X-Men comic, I hear Patrick Stewart's voice in my head when I read Professor X now. So <laughs> McAvoy did a good job, but Patrick Stewart is Professor X. Yes. Yeah. McAvoy's amazing. He's an amazing actor, and I can't wait to see where he continues if he gets to continue with that role. But uh, as far as the character goes in this movie, I'm going a little bit more small. Uh, Someone who, to me, is really the heart and soul of this movie uh, was uh, Anna Paquin's rogue, uh, Marie. She had such an integral role, uh, and and we really, you know, kind of take from her viewpoint going into the school, following through these things, the confusion she feels going into this new world. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she portrayed it so great, you know, the, the overwhelmed, uh, not sure what's happening next, um, but such a powerful character. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I can always fall on the side of Rogue because she's always been another one of my favorites. Uh, you know, the, the, the Southern Belle charm in the comics with the rough and tumble. I mean, I just always loved her as her character. And, you know, Anna Paquin was a very different version of Rogue, but mm-hmm. I think it worked for this movie. I think it worked well in this movie. Well, the, yeah, well, the very core, young, very naive, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the core thing about Rogue, no matter how, how many people's powers she steals, <laughs> um, is that, is the at her core like the most central thing of her character is that she's a vulnerable person that hates her powers, and yeah. they capture mm-hmm. that so powerfully in this movie. And yeah. so I know they age shift and change relationships around, but they got that core thing about Rogue Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our next award is best quote, and Dwayne, you have the privilege of <laughs> not picking one award, not one, one quote. <laughs> what I know, nobody's picking. <laughs> Well, I, I'm so glad that I get to go first on this because there is only one right answer 
to to the best quote in this movie. And it's from a, a dear character during a very intense scene. And a question that we were all wondering. No, Dwayne. What do does it. happen to a tank <laughs> when it's struck by lightning? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's so bad. I had to troll everybody. On that, but I just <laughs> when, when I seen that, that we still had, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't take best quote off. But when I said we still had best quote, I said, yep, I'm going there. I'm so going there just because it's so awful. That is both, despite the fact that woman was a cat woman, that is still the low moment of her acting career. That's no. True. No. <laughs> Catwoman is still the lowest. <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't that, know, man. This one was only for a, min- a minute. Catwoman, she was over like two hours. Yeah. I've, I've been able to block out of my memory, uh, Catwoman. I can't, I can't get what happens to a toad out of, <laughs> out of my memory. <laughs> you you, you got to finish the quote, though, Dwayne. What, what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? Well, Sammy, <laughs> since you had to ask, the same thing that happens to everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Do y'all know who wrote that line? A four-year-old? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's somebody else's low point of their career. Joss Whedon wrote that line. Oh, Joss Whedon did a did a like you know you know screen doctor pass on this script. That was one of the things he wrote, and they kept. Well, oh my gosh! I'm glad he got that out of his system. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right. So so I think I'm gonna go in and throw my oh. quote in here because I, I, I went a little bit of a different way than than Dwight. I that one is that that one's quote worthy. Um but I think the one that's memorable to me. Yeah, it's memorable, that's for sure. <laughs> um the one that stood out to me once again kind of goes back to the characterization of Wolverine. And it was something I once again never thought about. But the exchange between Rogue and Wolverine, when she says, when they come out, does it hurt? And he says, every time. And when you think about the fact, even though he heals, these things are cutting through his skin every time. You know, it's an open wound every time. And that, that, that just really hit home with me. So, because you know, in the comics, they drew his gloves and hit these little things on the top <laughs> that his claws would pop out of. So it was like it was like like he had like little shoots in his hands or something. But but that changed it, and it totally changed my view of, of Wolverine's claws. So yeah, and when you see, you know, that's another thing that opened my eyes to that. When you saw at the beginning, he, you know, you see the fist straight on as that middle claw starts to come out, and you see the skin tear and open yep. like, oh that's a physical thing mm-hmm. yeah and you think about the bones that's displacing in his hand i mean that has to be mm-hmm. just oh agony. yeah shifting shifting the, yeah. the you know <laughs> metatarsals or is that the foot I don't yeah know. it would be car- carpals <laughs> So carpals, it, yeah, carpals is uh, it'd be carpal. So the, all the the carpals, metacarpal bones are just yeah. shifting. So all those so. little bones in your hand moving on to make room for those big claws. Mm-hmm. I mean, that has to be just agony every second. He's got those claws extended. Yeah. Well, my quote is another um, Wolverine quote. Um, 
I, I struggle with two of them, but there's one I think is just so. Um, it's it's just a great quote. So he, it's it's at the very end of the movie when he's um, fighting with Magneto, and Magneto says, "Why do none of you understand what I'm trying to do? Those people down there, they control our fate and the fate of every other mutant. Well, soon our fate will be theirs." And so Rogue starts screaming, and then Wolverine says, "You're so full of bleep." If you're really so righteous, it'd be you in that thing. And I just love that he calls him on the carpet. Mm-hmm. I just, it's so great. And, it, it, it's, and, you know, considering, I guess, in the comics, the relationship that they've had and the things that have occurred with Wolverine's adamantium and Magneto and all that. So it, it kind of calls forward, I guess, with all that. So it's kind of interesting. All right, um, we're moving on to the episode-specific awards. And um, so, Sammy, you get to go first on best adaptation from the cartoon slash comic books. All right. So so obviously, as we're going through this, you can tell I'm going comic because that's that's where my, I guess, my basis is. So when I started reading X-Men on a regular basis, it was during Fall of the Mutants. And that is where we get Robert Kelly proposing the Mutant Registration Act. And so I love that. It brought back that moment in time because I remember those ads in the comics. It's 1987. Do you know what your children are? And would have pictures of kids. And it's like, which one's a mutant kind of deal. And I just, you know, that that really stood out to me as a as a teen, you know, well, I wasn't a teen at that point yet. Um but yeah, I was 12, so I was pretty close. Um, but seeing Kelly and the Registration Act in the movie just kind of brought back memories of reading those those 80s X-Men books. So, Well, I was uh, I was a hipster from when I was a little kid, and I refused to read the X-Men books. And I read X-Force and X-Factor. And <laughs> Everybody else reads the X-Men. I'm going to read X-Force. Um, but I think, I think this, this thing took as much from the cartoon. Um, as it did from the comic books. Because you think about the lineup here, it's not the original five. Mm-hmm. Um, this is basically minus game because he's so sketchy. Um, it's just basically it's basically the lineup from the cartoon, mm-hmm. um, which is very similar to the lineup from the 93 relaunch by Jim Lee. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think it was a great, a great idea to go with this lineup. Because the original five, I mean, they're kind of boring. I mean, they're not the best characters. They're kind of bland. They blend into each other. Um, great writers can fix that a little bit. But I think this is the right blend of characters. Um, I know they're not. I know a lot of nerds got mad. They weren't the original five, and they were all the wrong ages and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> but this lineup just works together. Every every everything fits in a place. It's great for storytelling. Their powers work well together. And so I think that borrowing this lineup from the cartoon and from the relaunched comic book series, um, I just think the this group of mutants is just such a perfect lineup that it was a great idea to go with this crew for the first X Men movie. You know, I agree. And I think part of it is budgetary. Could you show Beast and Iceman, a full Iceman, and Angel with the budget they have? There's just no way. They had to get to the X2 and, unfortunately, a little bit of X3 before we really (laughs) saw those characters fully fleshed out and and we got to actually see them. But I think a thing, too, they borrowed from the cartoon directly is they basically took that Jubilee storyline, having her be the young runaway that they had to rescue, and they just made Rogue that Jubilee character. Yeah. 
the the only thing the movie was missing is when Professor X tells Wolverine he doesn't need to go out looking for Rogue. He should have said, "I go where I want to go." You know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the thing I love that they adapted, because I was kind of afraid when I saw the black leather suits, you know, instead of a little bit more accurate costumes, I love that they stuck with Cerebro as the big, crazy, circular room with the, with the gantry in the middle, you know, little catwalk coming out there, and it's it's a thing, you know, the, the, the funky helmet. Um, oh, yeah. You know, the, the X's on the doors in the hallway, you know, that... Uh, that's stainless steel, uh, you know, medical looking lab area. Um, I loved the Cerebro. I'm so glad that they kept that. Yeah. And you're right. That could have been a really goofy scene, but they executed it so well that it just, it really works. Yeah. All right. Uh, our last award is the best that aged well. Um, I'm going to go with Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. I mean, that dude nailed that from the sake. I know, and he even showed up late. There was a different actor cast as Wolverine and hurt his back on a Mission Impossible movie. And they had to last second grab Hugh Jackman to be Wolverine. And he got the character from, like, I mean, from the second he was on set, he was just Wolverine. And it still is, it's aged so well. Speaking about aged well, he's only aged five years since the <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was my joke. That was my joke. So what the best that age well is Hugh Jackman. He's really age well. You know? <laughs> well, forget the day, then we need to pick Patrick Stewart. Because that man has an age since like 1989 or something. Whenever the next yeah. generation started. I don't know. He's starting to look he's starting to look a little older now. He, he's it's looking been more like gaunt. 30 years though. He's aged like five years and thirty. Yeah, I think he stopped aging right after Dune. <laughs> and picked back up like four years ago. Yeah. But I, but I was a, I was a little afraid to go back and see like maybe he didn't quite have it figured out or maybe because I know he wasn't really working out in the same way back then I'm like maybe Wolverine's not going to be what I remembered but it absolutely was so that 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 was mine cool all right Sammy what age all real right. for you uh, you know I just I think just the premise of the movie has still aged well with me. It's still an entertaining movie. It still has everything that makes the X-Men the X-Men. It's still got the school, and I love the the way the school is set up. Um, you know, it, it still has the Blackbird. I was always fascinated by the Blackbird. And, and and just even the the basketball court opening up and the Blackbird coming out. You know, all that steel set still hits home with me. So yeah, that that's probably, you know, besides Hugh Jackman not aging at all. Um, you know, so, those are the things I think that, that still age well and still hit the mark for me. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go a little bit sideways on that one. And, uh, the, the mystique costume and the mystique effect when she changes, you know, into different characters and then back to mystique, they still use it. In the you know with with Jennifer Lawrence and not Rebecca Romaine in the new movies, um, but that's an effect and and a look that they really got right, and I think it really added to the the movies and made her so much so much more creepy. The little yellow glint in the eye when she has a has an emotional response to someone, and I I think that look may have gotten some teenage boys in the theaters too. 
Oh, no doubt. <laughs> Just no saying. Doubt. I mean, you get you get Rebecca Romaine with no clothes on and some latex applicators. I mean, yeah, I'm just going to leave that there. Uh, but yes, speaking of aging well, you know, this movie is is 20 years old. Come out shortly after another movie that has aged well with our beloved Keanu Reeves in it. You know, Keanu doesn't age a day. He has aged so gracefully and beautifully. Where, oh, where? Is our Keanu a mutant of time and space? Where does Keanu connect to our mutants here, Jamie? Halle Berry was in John Wick 3. That's all she gets. She was <laughs> so bored with the here and so embarrassed to be in this movie. Man. That's all she gets. That's the Keanu connection. <gasps> Man, you normally have a Boom. little bit of lead up. You just come and drop that right on the table. Well, you know, this is a part of the show where uh, we're wrapping up from our movie review of, uh, of this great, uh, you know, introduction into the comic book realm. And we normally have our next quest already lined up. We normally have what we're doing. But we've had to do some shuffling with the coronavirus. We had went from bi-weekly news episodes to once a month news episodes and now there's not even that the news is delayed everything's delayed just just look at the calendar and say that was a news episode nothing's happening that's the news episode nothing's happening until further notice so we, we put out the call on the facey space we got the insta book and and the face grams and the twitters all of those and we said nerds Pitch us some movies to choose from. Well, we've drummed up 20 selections, guys. 20 selections. Well, being true nerds of the round table, that just sparked a little idea here. Um, certain games have a 20-sided <laughs> die that we thought felt real nicely, just being able to pick one of those 20 movies. So, Jamie, to do the honors, I think we have a, a very early contributor to the show. Yes, we've had a silent partner from the very beginning. And early on, she had a bigger role. She was doing all of the editing um, and until Dwayne took that over because Dwayne and I um, are, you know, control freaks. And <laughs> put our grubby fingers on everything. <laughs> and I would want to put her through some of the things that I edit. That's true. Uh, it's also a little bit of, uh, a little bit of mercy thrown in. Um, but, uh, <laughs> we, put, we put Sammy through so much, don't we? <laughs> uh, but my wife, Edna, uh, who as some of you will know is my co-host on Zafram, is going to do the honors of rolling the die to help us select our next movie. So Edna, say hi. Hello. Do you have the die? <laughs> All right, well, for those of you who are in the Facebook group, um, you already know what's on the list. And so uh, we've added a few to flesh it out a little bit, but we've got 20. Edna's got the 20-sided die. So, Edna, why don't you help us decide what we're going to be watching? All right. I don't know what the list is, so when I give you the number, you're going to have to tell me what it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll definitely announce it to everyone. We have, uh, we have 20 movies numbered 1 through 20. I know what I'm hoping it's not. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wanting. Let me know the number now. <laughs> no. <laughs> say, say nothing, fellas. Say nothing. I'll make right, you watch guys, it with me. Go. 
We're going to do it. Ready? All right. Let's go for it. You got 16. 16. Oh, great. Uh, this movie is on Dis- is on Netflix, actually. Uh, A Knight's Tale. It's number 16. All right. All right. Yeah. So we have uh, Heath Ledger, Paul Bettany, and Alan Tudyk. Mm-hmm. Young Alan Tudyk. Yes. Yeah, very young. <laughs> so A Knight's Tale, and it is on Netflix. I have verified that here recently. So mm-hmm. that's going to be a great <laughs> watch for next week. Yeah, All right, and so let me know. It's real good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did you did so much for us, especially early on. We thought it would be nice to bring you back and have you do uh, another task for the nerds. You just used me to roll your dice. <laughs> <laughs> we gave you the privilege of rolling the dice. I'm honored. I don't know. Well, thank you. Thank you, Edna. Bye bye. All right, guys, we've got an empty slot now. So we'll have to fill that back in here uh, in our post show wrap up. But, Jamie, as we prepare to enter the arena for our joust, as we queue up, not Queen, but Warrants, we will rock you. <laughs> what are we going to do? Till we watch the Knight's Tale. We're going to stay out of the cage with Wolverine and keep it nerdy. Okay. Since X-Men was an early Marvel movie and had no post-credit scene, we've decided to do it for them. Okay, so <laughs> since we've rolled the die for the first time, we now have an empty slot. So what we're doing now is we're starting a race. So first listener to get on the Facebook group after this thing drops on Monday gets to fill, the, gets to fill that empty slot. So race is on, guys. So the first post we see on our Facebook wall will be the replacement for A Knight's Tale. Number 16 on our infamous 20 list of movies. Don't disappoint us. And don't scar me. <laughs>